0: Uh, it's very exciting to be together on this special Sunday. Uh, these these congregational Sundays they happen in May and they happen in November. They really try to accomplish three purposes. Uh, on congregational Sundays, we share the vision. We remind you who are we and who, where are we headed and how are we going to get there. That's really what the vision is all about. And then we share. Secondly, the state of the church, sort of a state of the union address, as it were, where you can hear from our ministries, our leaders, our deacons, our committee members uh, about the state of the ministry, and we can celebrate those things together. And then, thirdly, we present and we vote on. In, the, in November, we vote on our leadership, and in the May, like we'll, in May, what we'll do today after the second service is we'll vote on our fiscal budget. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to share the vision, along with uh, you'll, and along the way, we'll have different ministry leaders come up and share portions of how their ministries fit into that ministry, and we'll celebrate some of those things together. And then we will also I want to ask all of you, whether you're a member, you've been uh, just attending for a little while, we want you to stay here right after the service. Don't worry about, if you have kids in ministry, uh, in the children's ministry, uh, the leaders there know to keep them for a few extra minutes. So you can stay, hear the the budget presented, any questions that there might be about it, and then we will vote together. Members will vote uh, with voice vote here today. So we want to invite you to stay and participate in that, whether you're a member or not, okay? So let's start with the vision. Let me remind you of what our vision is. We'll put it on the screen, and I'd actually like you to say it together. Here's a vision of Brandywine Valley Church. Say it with me to introduce people to Jesus Christ and help them follow him. Very good. This is the vision that really comes right out of the Great Commission. This comes right out of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, some of Jesus' final words. He gives us his marching orders. And his marching orders are this. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, They're, that is all people groups, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus Christ, to the very end of the age. How is it that we introduce people to Jesus? How is it that we go? The only way to do that is to be a church on the move. And this phrase, on the move, is gonna sort of encapsulate the vision, and the strategy over the next several years together. We want to be a church on the move. And what that means, we want to be a church that's intentional, not passive. A church that's on our toes, not on our heels. We want to be a church that's taking territory, not giving territory up spiritually. We want to be a church that's taking risks and not afraid to take risks. And the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, just like the early church did in transforming their world. We don't want to be a church that's circling the wagons around conventional wisdom of man. We don't want to be a church that's like, hey, we paid our debt. You know, let's just kind of sit back, sit and soak, and rest on our laurels. No. We want to be a church that is rejecting what is easy and comfortable and pursuing what is difficult but essential. And what it is that's difficult and essential is carrying out the vision in an increasingly post-Christian, hostile culture. That is why we're here in Brandywine Valley. You ever wonder why this church is here? That's why it's here in the Brandywine Valley, is to accomplish that very mission, the very Great Commission itself. Now, you might recall in our last congregational meeting, uh, Congregational Sunday in November, I laid out with, for you three initiatives, on-the-move initiatives over the next several years. I want to recap those, remind you of those phrases, building our faith, reaching our community, and shaping our future, building, reaching, shaping, and I want to give you a little bit more information about how we're doing that. Uh, flesh those out a little bit more. So let's talk about initiative number one, first of all, building our faith. Here's what this means to be building our faith. We are committed to building resilient disciples of Jesus in an increasingly post-Christian or Christianized culture or context that we find ourselves in today. Now, when you hear the phrase, Building resilient disciples, I wonder what images come to your mind. Maybe you think of a warrior, you know, or you think of a fighter in a, in a tr- trench warfare, or you think of somebody's training to be able to stand firm against the world uh, pressures that are coming its way. And that's really the imagery of resilience, tested, battle-tested disciples. The scripture that really speaks to me when it comes to building resilient disciples is one of my fighter verses. Fighter verses for me are the verses that I memorize when I'm facing temptation, when I'm thinking about giving up, when I'm thinking about giving in. It's those verses that keep me firm and resilient. One of my favorites is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I'd encourage you to commit Romans 12, 1 and 2 to memory where Paul says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to present yourselves as living sacrifices holy and pleasing, acceptable to the Lord, this is our spiritual act of worship or our true and proper worship to him. Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to test the will of God. You'll be able to know the good and pleasing will of God. What Paul is saying here in this letter is coming to a context of a group of people, the Roman Christian church. It was a fledgling, tiny, remnant, so to speak, of Christians living in a massive, pagan, influential, we might say pre-Christian society of Rome. And to this church that was tiny and powerless as a minority in the culture, he says in verse two, he gives this powerful image in verse two, where he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. If you like to play with Play-Doh or if you've played with Play-Doh in the past, you know that when you play with it, it, it usually comes with these molds, right? It comes with like a, like a turtle shell mold or, or a food mold or whatever. And you take the Play-Doh and you kind of smash it in this little plastic mold and then you pick it up and it is the shape of that item. And that's essentially what Paul says the world's trying to do. It says the Roman culture set up against God is looking to squeeze us and pressure us into its mold, into its vision of how to live morally, in its virtues and values, in its uh, behaviors and beliefs, in in its seeking of why you're here, in its identity. It's trying to squeeze them into a mold just like the rest of them. And what Paul says is the only way to resist that The only way to not be conformed to the mold of this world is to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That is, to know the word of God, know who Jesus is, and know Jesus's vision and his values and his virtues and his beliefs, to be aware of and live out the behaviors and the identity of Christ in such a way that it enables you to resist the pressure of the world. This is resilient discipleship to Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Not conforming to the pressure from the outside but being transformed and changed from the inside, something only Jesus Christ can do. And the very same need that the church had in a pre-Christian world in Rome is the very same need that we have today in a post-Christian, an increasingly post-Christian context today in our world, in America. Our modern secular American culture make no mistakes, is making disciples. They're discipling you. They're discipling your kids. They're discipling your grandkids. They're squeezing them into the molds. How are we resisting? It better be through making resilient disciples of Jesus. This is what we're called to do. We need to build resilient disciples of Jesus in this post-Christian context. Now, in November, I told you that uh, you can expect us to de- be developing a pathway of building resilient disciples. Uh, and I want to share with you just kind of a high-level pathway of what that looks like. I believe Jesus gave us a great paradigm to make disciples in one of his last, some of his final words, a great I am statement at the end of, uh, of his life in John chapter 14, verse 6. Do you remember what it says? Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, I think, gives us a paradigm to think about discipleship to him, following Jesus as the way, the way he lived, walking as Jesus walked, as 1 John says, in pursuing him as the truth, the definition of reality in our world, and following him as the life, that is the source of life. As Peter once said, where else would we go, Jesus? You alone have the words that bring life. Jesus said he'll come and bring the abundant life, living out of that abundant life. So the way and the truth and the life kind of forms three circles, we might say, of a paradigm of resilient discipleship. And within each of those circles, there's really four four themes that give us a context of how we build resilient disciples. So within understanding or following Jesus as the way, it's following Jesus' rhythms, that is, his spiritual practices. How did Jesus worship in prayer and solitude and scripture reading and fasting and rest? It's understanding the calling of Jesus to make disciples, being his apprentices to walk as Jesus walked, in on, being on mission and equipped to share. It's developing grit like Jesus had when he rejected comfort and was willing to embrace the suffering Of this life. And it's community. It's learning like Jesus to live in community, relying on one another and shaping and transforming one another in that same way. It's following Jesus as the way. It's following Jesus as the truth. Jesus defining reality in our life, that we are living a life knowing and practicing the gospel of Jesus that we practice that in everyday life. It's Bible reading, it's understanding our Bibles, memorizing scripture, being able to intersect with and study the Bible and apply it for ourselves. It's doctrinal essentials. That is getting clarity and conviction around core beliefs of who God is, what is sin, salvation, the church, and the afterlife. And it's developing a biblical worldview. That is discerning truth in the midst of competing narratives in our world. This is following Jesus as a truth. And then finally, following Jesus as the life. That Jesus is the only source of life. That the Holy Spirit is given to us, as he says in, uh, Jesus says in, in the upper room discourse, that he's sending the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us in this way of life. And the way of the Spirit is a way of humility. It's seeing ourselves accurately before God, living a life of repentance and emptying ourselves as Jesus did. It's a life of surrender as Jesus surrendered to the will of God, resisting temptation and following the Lord. It's a life of restoration, of dealing with our past, of healing from our past and moving forward with an identity in Christ and in our relationships. And finally, it's fruitfulness. It's learning to live out of the abundance of the Holy Spirit that we have who wants to bear fruit in our life as we walk with the Spirit, namely the fruit of love. And so over the next several years, we want to take these 12 themes within these these circles of the way, the truth, and the life and begin to bring them into our culture. It's going to take a while. It's a bold vision to, to build these resilient disciples around these themes. And so over the next couple of years, we want you to to understand and sort of name your stage of apprenticeship to Jesus, so you can learn how to continue in your walk with Jesus Christ. I wanna bring up a director of our children's ministry, Christy Pullig, she's gonna share with you a little bit more about how we're making resilient disciples in our children's ministry, and share with you some updates as well. So can you welcome uh, Christy Pullig, thank you.
1: power is right
2: now and you saw many of the kids leave this room and go downstairs to their class and then wednesday nights is awana where bible memory is key in all three of these environments we are committed to building resilient disciples in all three environments we're committed to digging deep into the bible with engaging activities that will draw kids into a personal relationship with Jesus. Today, I'd like to highlight one of those environments where resilient disciples are being made, and that's our nine o'clock elementary class. We use a curriculum called Bright. Rochelle Anderson leads the other teachers each week, and they are very intentional about helping kids to become resilient disciples. And build their faith. We want kids to leave children's ministry not just with head knowledge of Jesus, not just with head knowledge of the scriptures. We want them to have heart knowledge. Each week, the beginning of the class at 9 o'clock, the kids are asked, what was the best and worst part of your week? And how did God use those experiences to make you a resilient disciple. They go around so everyone has a chance to think about this question. And if they can't think of their own answer for that, another child will answer and speak into their life. And these kids are learning that everything can be seen through our position as a disciple of Christ. Now, a lot of times, the worst part of their week might be fighting with their siblings, uh, illness of a pet, is a big one but some of them go through even harder things that are on their hearts and that they're carrying with them and they're seeing that those hard times and even the best times of their week have something to do with them being a disciple of Jesus so this is a great question to ask your kids this is a great question to talk about in the car or during dinner but it's also isn't it a great question for us to ask ourselves This 9 o'clock class works through the Bible chronologically throughout the year. And as they dig into scripture, kids are reminded that the whole Bible should be viewed in the light of the gospel. They look at four main aspects of the gospel that you'll see here on this slide. Rochelle teaches them some motions. So if you'd like to learn the motions, I'm sure you would. You can just see me afterwards. Be glad to show you. Teach your friends. Uh, And these four... Main components of the gospel are creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. And that's how they view all scripture. This class also begins and ends each lesson with three questions about the scripture passage. The first question is one about God and who he is, the next question is usually a question about people. Or about people in light of who God is. And then the last one is about our purpose. The first two questions are different each week depending on the scripture. And the third one is the same every time. And it's this, what does God want me to know about him? And what does this mean for me? That's a great question also for us to ask whenever we read scripture It's ideal for kids to stay for both the 9 o'clock and 10.30 classes, and many do. We have a different focus at the 10.30 hour. We're focused on kids learning what it means to worship God, to engage with him, to use what they've learned in the scriptures. Our elementary class is more topical, and sometimes downstairs we teach the same lesson that you hear up here in the sermon series. So we did teach the lessons on the gospel of Mark. So for the past year or so, we've been going through the book of Mark. And we've been learning about the real Jesus through that gospel. We wrapped up that unit after Easter. And in a way to reflect on what the kids learned, we had them write a letter, Dear Jesus. So the first thing that they wrote on this letter was this sentence, they finished the sentence, and it's, Dear Jesus, here are some things that I've learned about you. We have a slide that shows their answers or some of their answers there. It was fun to just read through what they saw in Jesus and who he was to them. And Savior was one of the most popular words, I think. Many, many kids wrote Savior or some version of that. They may have written, You are the Savior of the world. But I loved it when I saw that they wrote, you are my savior. This is our goal. This is our goal to let kids experience Jesus and have a personal relationship with him. So the next part of their Dear Jesus letter was a place for the kids to write any questions that they would ask Jesus We found in our studies about resilient disciples and when kids leave high school and continue on to be resilient disciples of Jesus, a lot of times we see that those kids have had a chance, an environment where they were able to ask questions, to ask the hard questions, the big questions, and to be pointed back to scripture for those. So some of these answers that you'll see on our next slide here, some of them were what you'd expect, like questions about heaven questions about when Jesus will come back, some questions that we probably have as well. The most popular question was, why did you die? Why did you die on the cross? Why did you die for me? But as I looked through those questions, there's one that really stood out to me. You'll see it somewhere in the middle there. And it was written by a six-year-old girl. She wrote, how can we celebrate you? How can we celebrate you? It made me think that it's a question we should ask every day. What if every morning we asked Jesus, how can we celebrate you today? Let's all take the lead of a child's faith and also become resilient disciples of Christ. Thank you.
0: It's, it's an encouragement to know that your children... Our children are in such great hands uh, with not only Christy, but all the volunteers and the staff as well, so thank you, Christy. The second initiative that we want to talk about briefly is uh, reaching our community, and what we mean by reaching our community is this, that we are committed to mobilizing our church to demonstrate and declare the gospel of Jesus. This is what we've been about. We've begun a multi-year, multi-pronged initiative to stir our collective sense of urgency with the gospel and excitement and empowerment to reach our community, to reach our neighbors and our schools and where we work and where we live and where we play. We want to equip you with tools to be able to share your faith. We started doing that this past uh, semester. We just wrapped up also uh, Go Week. Uh, We launched uh, Alpha this past week. Uh, excuse me, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Alpha is a class where we invite people to discover Jesus and faith for themselves, and we encourage you to invite your friends to come to Alpha that don't know the Lord. We have about 30 people that are in that class discovering where they are in their journey with the Lord. And then, uh, and then like I said, we, we wrapped up Go Week last week. We had an incredible Go Week um, as we went out into our community to serve and to share. I'm gonna give you a little report Okay, and this is going to be on like 1.5 speed. Okay, so follow along. Here's a little report of some of the things that we did. We had over 200 people serve in, uh, in organized projects throughout Go Week, and then many, many, many more who served in, in sort of uh, organic or community kind of ways. Uh, we had a week-long construction project go very successfully at Sunday Breakfast Mission at their vintage thrift store. Uh, they expanded uh, uh, the impact on the community there in that space. We had eight; we served eight meal shifts that were covered at Sunday Breakfast Mission throughout the week. Uh, we had a team at the mission every single day a week. Uh, we had a men's team and a women's team who co-led a men and women's chapel uh, during this past week. So a lot happened at Sunday Breakfast Mission, which is a key partner for us. We also had six teams who served at Urban Promise Ministry, um, at the after school camps throughout the week and then also to help clean up their school and their, their cafeteria and other places at Urban Promise. We had a team organize and prepare furniture at Foster Well, a foster ministry uh, to those families. We had a team do yard work at the Ronald McDonald House this week. We had three teams pick up trash and weed in, in city parks. We had a team prepare decorations for summer VBS here. We had a team who sorted clothes at Friendship House and a group who sewed quilts that will be sent around the world and also to some at Sunday, Sunday Breakfast Mission. We have one small group who prepared two chapel services at Maris Grove uh, for the Maris Grove residents. Members of our choir and residents from uh, Maris Grove uh, here at Brandywine Valley Church sang hymns with people who cannot make it to church. We had a small group who built a deck for a family in need. We had a group who put on a lemonade stand. This is actually my small group, small group that I'm, uh, Shannon and I are part of, and uh, involved all the children in, as well, and the proceeds went to help a family with a medical need. We had a, a group select five foster families and serve a meal to each family throughout the week and involve the teenagers in the food prep as well as the delivery. We had a group clean a house for a disabled caregiver within the city limits of Wilmington. We we had 12 scouts, parents, and leaders who tackled a list of outdoor chores for a local church uh, and helped both inside and outside of that church. And we had one family who put a simple Facebook message post that read this, Anyone know of a neighbor in need who needs some help around the house or the yard? My family and I would like to volunteer our time to help someone as part of our church's go week. And within 24 hours, three requests came in from three different people who had yard work and small repairs that this small group was able to do. (gasps) So that's pretty cool, right? We can celebrate that. Amen, that's something that God did here. And we also send uh, Christian Della Cuba, give it up for Christian, he's the guy in the back who takes care of all our tech. We send him around with a video camera uh, to a bunch of different sites, as many as we could get to, and we compiled a little video that just gives you kind of a a visual uh, of what God did. So check out this video. So as you heard Pastor Terry talk about this, he continues to say, this is a catalyst. This isn't meant to just be a one-time thing. It's a catalyst to get us, kind of break our comforts and, and our regular circles and kind of get outside of ourselves so that we might be willing to be on the move for Jesus. Over the next few years, you can expect us to continue to focus on the equipping and the empowering for you to be the church in the community. Yes, this is a church building But if you know Christ, you are the church. It is you and I who are meant to go outside the walls of this place to reach our places of work and play and schools where we live. And that is going to be, over the next couple of years, a a continued shift. We're going to move a few more clicks towards making a more provincial, local impact Thinking about the places where we live, work, and play, right here in the Brandywine Valley, we want to be more engaged in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our sports teams, in our peer groups, where we can have the greatest influence. This is reaching our community. And then the third one that we want to spend just a few minutes talking about is shaping our future. Shaping our future really does have more to do with this church building, we, want to, we are committed to repurposing our building to align with our current and future ministry priorities. Uh, if we, we believe that if we're going to be effective at our mission of introducing people to Jesus, helping them follow him, it means that we need to think about this building beyond what we just do when we come and gather on a Sunday. We need to be thinking about this building as a powerful tool, an incredible asset for ministry and evangelism and hospitality in our community. And while our sanctuary is, is beautiful, it's 15 years old, so is our downstairs in our, uh, our ministry area, our education area. Many of you might know, or maybe you don't know, but the east and west wings of this building um, were built back in the, in the 70s uh, before some of us were born. And uh, very few, if any, renovations have been done the reasons that those, bu- those parts of the buildings were built, in a lot of ways, we're not even using it for this intended purpose or in the way it was intended, which means that we need to redesign it for our current and future use. We want people from our community. We want your friends and your uh, family members and your teens and children and coworkers and neighbors coming into our building, utilizing this building and saying, wow, you guys really thought of me when you designed this place. You expected me to be here. That's what we want to do in this building. And so I want to invite Pastor Todd Johnson, he's our executive pastor, to come and share a little bit more about how we are planning to use this building. Can you welcome Pastor Todd? Thanks. Good morning.
3: We are very, very blessed to have a great building and facility here at Brandywine. Amen? Amen. We are positioned wonderfully in our community to really be a hub for the gospel of Jesus Christ for many, many years to come. And One of the things that we've realized as a leadership team is that there are decisions that we can make here now today that will help to ensure that Brandywine Valley Church continues to thrive for many, many more decades to come, long uh, past and when we are here for the generations to come. One of the things that we talked about at our 50th anniversary is to dream about the next 50 years. What might that look like? And to begin to lay plans that will help that next 50 years be strong as possible. We're also aware, though, that we cannot allow ourselves to stagnate. We must continue to innovate. We must be on the forefront of shaping our future. One of the things that we have been planning for is the repurposing of our building uh, to align it with our current and future ministry needs. As our church grows, as ministry needs change, we have found that we no longer have the adequate children's ministry space. We no longer have the adequate lobby space. We have never had really the outdoor ministry space that would really transform the way that we are able to minister to children, teens, and adults on a weekly basis. For the past year and a half, we have been working with a national church design firm called Visioneering Studios to help address how we can shape our ministry future with regards to our building. Currently, we are in the schematic design phase of developing a plan to physically repack a portion of our church building. Now, here's a concept image of our new children's ministry check-in area. Our hope is to improve our children's ministry footprint within our building, bringing all of the children's ministry to one central location on the east wing of our building instead of three separate locations that we utilize today. This will not only be a more welcoming and clear introduction for our guests, but it will also make our children's ministry a lot more secure and also give our children's ministry a level of credibility and excellence that our staff and volunteers have worked so hard to produce here at Brandywine. We're also looking to improve our lobby and congregational space. Here's a concept image of our new Connection Cafe. We need to increase the amount of space for our congregation to meet and to talk and to have great conversations um, before and after services. Now, everybody here has experienced how overcrowded our lobby can be in between services. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. This cafe will be located right off of our lobby. We plan to widen the entrance to this lobby and, in essence, double the amount of area that we have to congregate on our main floor before and after services. We also have some concept images of the external areas of our building. Again, these are just conceptual. We are in the process right now of figuring out what is possible, also what isn't possible, and how much it will cost. The concept here is not only to create space for us to congregate outside, but also bringing a uniformity to the external design of our building. Our building looks like it has been built onto multiple times over many, many decades because that is exactly what happened. Um, And this plan is to make our building look like one building. Um, And these are some images of the parking lot side of our building. You'll notice new decking and new entrances. And this is a concept, the image of the Mount Lebanon side of our building. I think we would all agree that this is a much-needed upgrade to the curb appeal of our church home. Now, there are a few things to keep note of. Number one, we are not looking to finance the cost of these upgrades. We plan to raise these funds through our Campus Improvement Fund and also pledges. The Board of Deacons have put together a fundraising team to begin to prepare for how we are going to raise these funds. And this summer, once we conclude the schematic design process with Visionary Studios, we will have a firm estimate of the total cost. And then this fall, we plan to share that cost along with the financial approach we plan to take to pay for these upgrades, as well as potential timelines for these projects to begin. The second thing I think it would be good for you to take note of is that we have been getting feedback from a wide variety of stakeholders from across our church as we make these plans. From our staff team to our deacons to committee members to volunteers, we have worked to include a host of voices to speak into what is necessary, what is needed in this project. And last but not least, I would like you to know that you need to pray for us we are a church on the move, friends. I hope that you sense that. I hope that you feel that God is doing something great in and amongst us here at Brandywine. But the enemy wants to frustrate our plans to ensure that we are not moving forward. And so pray for the wisdom to be, of the Lord to be upon us as we shape our future for the glory of God. Thank you very much.
0: As you heard Pastor Todd share, we really want to make sure that we are making wise decisions, not just using the convention's conventional wisdom of man, which in the past, quite frankly, I think, has gotten us into some problems with debt that I don't know if we should have been in, quite frankly, um, And it hamstrung us for years. Thanks be to God that we were able to pay off that debt. That was what he did uh, way sooner than we even thought. And so we want to we go in the right way. And, and, and so while God did all of that for sure, he also used us. He used men and women that were committed to careful stewardship, financial stewardship. One of those people that he's used uh, currently and in the past is the chairman of our finance committee, uh, Kevin Dombrowski. Kevin's gonna come forward and he's gonna present a little bit of where things are at with the finances as well as the budget. Kevin. Welcome,
1: Kevin. Good morning, Brandywine. Today, I'm going to provide a quick update in terms of the fiscal situation here at Brandywine, as well as dive into the proposed 2024 budget. But before jumping into that, I wanted to give a really quick update in terms of where we financially stand today. And as a quick reminder, our fiscal year begins in September, and it goes through August. We're about two-thirds of the way through fiscal year 2020. 23. And as you can see, in terms of where we are from a budget and giving perspective, we're actually a little bit above. So before jumping into the budget side of things, wanted to uh, say thank you on behalf of the Finance Committee for your generosity, for your sacrificial giving. It certainly makes these conversations much easier, but it makes all of the wonderful things that we've been hearing about today actually take place. So thank you. Next, when we shift gears and we look into the proposed budget, what you'll see is that there's a slight increase. And so the slight increase actually comes to about a 3% increase. But really, to tell the whole story, you have to zoom out, and you have to look at the last five years. And when we look at the last five years, you're going to see that it's basically flat, and that has been intentional. Uh, From the ministry leadership team, from the board of deacons, as well as from the finance committee, we've tried to keep this as flat as possible. Um, When we look at this, and we're living in a high inflationary environment right now, and when we look at this, you're gonna see a 1.5% increase year over year over the last five years. And we can compare that to inflation, which has hovered around 4% on an annual basis. So it's been very modest and that is intentional. When we dive into uh, this proposed budget and compare it to last year, you're gonna see that there's a few changes and a few differences. Largely, that comes um, from personnel. Uh, There has been a cost of living adjustment that has been incorporated into this budget. We are living in in high inflationary times, Um, as well as on the administration side. Pastor Todd talked about all the wonderful things with the Campus Improvement Fund, um, and there was a one-time cost associated with architectural drawings that we just saw. Um, That has been removed from the administrative side, and what has Uh, been added are all of the cost increases for energy, for gas, for for really everything to maintain these facilities. And so when we look at it from a percentage basis, it's actually right in line with what we've seen in the previous year. Um, Roughly about two-thirds is associated with personnel, um, roughly about 10% is associated with missions. And so I wanted to dive into missions and look a little bit into that because we get a lot of questions about missions giving. And so the general fund budget is just one component of missions giving. It's about $250,000 or 10% of the budget that goes into missions. It does not include love and action, does not include faith promise, does not include a variety of other missions um, giving. And when we sum everything up uh, as a whole, missions giving is roughly about 600000 or no matter how you calculate it, anywhere between 20 and 25 percent of all finances goes to missions. So this is a very missions-focused, uh, a bud- uh, missions-focused church. So shifting gears a little bit, I-, I mentioned about the intentionality of keeping the budget as flat as possible. Also, during the last five to 10 years, there's been a lot of work to pro- provide financial safeguards so the church can continue uh, its operations no matter what happens. The first is the operations reserve. Right now, it is fully funded at $400,000. This is a rainy day fund. Think of it as something that is not to be used unless we absolutely have to use it. If some sort of economic headwinds hit this church and we want to maintain operations, continue to do all the great things here, that's when you would be pulling from that operations reserve. Second, we have a facilities reserve that is fully funded at $250,000. This reserve is a little bit different. We have this large facility. We have a lot of deferred maintenance and a lot of costs come with that. And these are costs that are very hard to predict. So if a boiler breaks and needs to be replaced or an HVAC unit goes or there's a a leak in the roof, you have funds readily available to quickly fix that and not necessarily have to try to budget for it. And then in addition to that, this budget that we present is not etched in stone. If something unforeseen happens, uh, we always have the ability to tighten the belt. So at the end of the year, in the event that giving is more than what we see from this budget, where does that go? And really think of this as kind of a waterfall approach. So first and foremost, it goes to the general fund budget, then anything uh, in excess would go to replenishing those reserves, which right now are fully funded. And then anything in excess of that would go to the Campus Improvement Fund. So in summary, this is a 3.02% budget increase um, over last year's budget. Last year's budget was a flat budget increase from the previous year. Uh, we have many financial uh, uh, protections in place, including the reserves, and then any excess giving above and beyond the budget goes to replenish the reserves or towards the Campus Improvement Fund. So again, thank you so much for your generosity. It makes these conversations very easy. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Kevin. <clears throat> Last uh, but not least, we want to invite Chris Miller. He's the chairman of our Deacon Board. He's going to come and give a brief update, actually an update about me, so, uh, Chris, can welcome Chris Miller? Thanks.
4: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. Um, actually, I have a, I, the, what I have to share with you is a good thing, um, and it's that Pastor Nate will be taking a sabbatical from June 16th to August 16th for eight, eight weeks. Um, it's part of our church policy. And um, that that every seven years, our our ministry leadership team gets an eight-week sabbatical. And, I I mean, I, one, it's amazing to think that Nate's been here seven years. Um, Number two, as you're acknowledging, um, we thank God for Nate's zeal, for the word of God, for the church, for this congregation, so, uh, so thank you Nate. Um, sabbaticals are common best practice among churches to maintain a healthy staff culture and care for our leaders. They're intended to provide rest and rejuvenation and provide space for our leaders to accomplish some goals that they may not have the ability to pursue in the thick of ministry. Um, and this is this is one of God's plans, not man's plans. Um, if you were to sort of study scripture, you would see how important um, rest and rejuvenation is to God and the model that he's given us in scripture for pursuing that. Simp- since implementing that, this policy, um, Pastor Matthew McNutt and Children's Director Christy Pollig have both taken advantage of this, and uh, it's been a blessing for both of them. During Pastor Nate's sabbatical, in addition to r he will be visiting missionary partners in Kenya, Africa, uh, spending quality time with his family and pursuing further study on discipleship. Um, since his sabbatical has tended to provide day-to-day um, um, uh, oh, time away from day-to-day ministry, we would ask that you refrain from contacting him during this time. That's the whole purpose, is that he would get that break. Obviously, you can't contact the, the church office as you normally would um, during that time. Um, we're blessed to have an amazing teaching team here um, at Brandywine, and uh, the summer series will be called Choose Wisely which will examine the Old Testament kings of Israel and Judah. So it should be a wonderful time during those two months. Um, please join. We will be praying, obviously, for Pastor Nate, um, even before, before he, he goes on sabbatical. But please join us in the meantime in praying for Nate, for Shannon, Nathan, Aiden, Um that this would be just a real time of blessing for them.
0: So thank you. So um, it, it really is my privilege to be able to, to pastor. I've never been more excited or have more energy or I uh, feel like spiritual health than where I'm at right now, so I'm not taking the sabbatical from a place of exhaustion and desperation, which some pastors, that's how they take it. Uh, so I look forward to uh, taking some time off and hitting the ground, running when I return. You're going to be in great hands. We have such a great preaching and leadership team here as you've gotten Uh, to know and see. Um, As we begin to close this portion of the service, just a reminder, uh, we're going to start in just a few minutes with the voting portion. So stay here, stay in, don't worry. Kids will be taken care of downstairs. uh, And and make a little bit of room because we're going to invite some other folks in. If for whatever reason you need to leave, feel free to do so to pick up your kids. But otherwise, please stay. And would you just take a moment, would you stand with me, and then sit back down, but stand with me. (laughs) And why don't we pray uh, for for what the Lord's doing here in the future. Father, we want to present ourselves to you, Lord. We can only do what you've enabled us to do. It's by your power that we go. And so may we go with you into our workplace and into our schools. May we go with you into our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, that we would go with the Spirit who gives us power and love and self-discipline. Lord, make us into mighty men and women of God, who shake this world, maybe for one last time, before you return. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here, and we pray that you will bless us and keep us, and make your face to shine upon us, and give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.